Today's reading is from Psalm 127, a song of ascent of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builder labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are the heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Psalm 127 is a psalm that looks at three basic areas of human life, three basic activities that are relevant to every era in human history. It's to show the truth that we must be actively dependent on the Lord in every part of life, otherwise our lives will be pointless, restless, and fruitless. The, the three basic activities that it talks about, that it uses as illustrations and applications are, are these. Building a house, protecting the city, and rearing a family. And to the Hebrew mind, and in the Hebrew language, all of those could be considered uh, house-building activities. Because the word house, bayit, could, could be applied to um, the family home, so an actual building. It could be applied to a whole people or a nation. So the house of Israel is often talked about in the Old Testament. And it could be applied to a dynasty, as in the house of David, the dynasty of rulers in Israel. Therefore, the three main activities of this psalm, construction of a building, security of a city, and parenting, are all linked by being household activities. That's what holds these very different things together in this psalm. And in those three household activities, Solomon is urging us to see God's providential control over them and to recognize that all our efforts, all our labor will be in vain unless the Lord blesses us, unless we are depending on him and putting him at the center of our lives. Now, this psalm is one of only two psalms in the whole Psalter. That's out of all 150 psalms, there are only two written by or attributed to Solomon. That means that this psalm was either, uh, it was written by him, it was written about him, it was written from his perspective, it's of Solomon. And so it's helpful for us to remember that King Solomon, the wisest, the wealthiest king that ever um, ruled over Israel and, and the wisest man that ever lived, we're told, he knew something about building a house. According to 1 Kings 9, over the course of 20 years, Solomon built actually two houses. He oversaw the construction of two houses. He built the, the temple of the Lord, and he built his own royal palace. He had been commanded by God to build the temple, and he gave it great care. He spared no expense, and it took about seven years to construct the temple. But his own palace, well, which the Lord hadn't commanded him to build, 
he, he built that much larger and over the course of 13 years. He also built and secured the whole house of Israel in various ways through uh, powerful military campaigns. He defeated their enemies through massive building projects across the country. He established them as a, a society. And through wildly successful economic treaties, he brought the kind of prosperity and um, security that they would have desired. And yet this nation building, it, it depended upon and it, it required slave labor at a previously unheard of scale. That's one of Solomon's great innovations, slavery. He also he paid for it by an impressively high taxation of the people. And he amassed military equipment, chariots and horses, and, and he used those as defense for the people. And all of those things were things that the Lord had warned not to do. But those were the ways that Solomon built up the house of Israel. And he also, he labored to build the house of David. So the Lord had promised to establish David and um, his throne forever. And Solomon wanted to secure that promise. So he married 700 women. And he had also 300 concubines. Many of these relationships were undoubtedly marriages uh, of political alliances. So he was marrying uh, the, the princesses of the civilizations around to secure the treaties with them, but they weren't all about politics. We're told in 1 Kings 11 that he loved them, that he loved his wives. And so he loved them so much that he built houses for their gods, more construction projects. He engaged in idol worship because he loved his wives and it mattered to them. He loved them so much that he had and raised children by them who eventually fought with one another and split the kingdom of Israel. Now, uh, we can imagine Solomon reflecting on his life at the end of his life and realizing that as much as he accomplished, as great as his peers undoubtedly thought he was, that the majority of his labors were in vain. Because somewhere in the midst of all that toiling and achieving, he turned away from the Lord. Therefore, by the end of his life, he had begun to see all that he had worked for collapsing before his eyes. His family line descended into war between his sons. His kingdom was divided. His temple was used by only a small fraction of the people. His nation became an easy target for their enemies because they were divided amongst themselves. And so the words of this psalm, I think, were written and were sung with the conviction that comes only from a truth learned the hard way. So we read it. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Building and watching creating and conserving our work and our security, Solomon is telling us that apart from the Lord's blessing, all of these things are pointless. All the things we do are pointless. The word translated in vain means meaningless. It means false, 
It means an illusion. It's a word that would be used to talk about something that looks substantial, but in reality is actually nothing. And so the image that comes to my mind is that of a movie set. You know, down the road, Clearwater Bay Road, uh, there's Shaw Studios. And you go in to their uh, set lot, and you go in. I'm sure Susan knows this. She's been on those sets. Her husband has been on those sets. And you go in and you see entire city streets constructed there, it looks like. And you see entire landscapes constructed there. But if you put any weight on the building, it wobbles. And if you kick one of the boulders on set, your foot goes through the foam and the paper. Because it looks substantial, but it's actually nothing. And that, Solomon says, is what all human attempts to build and secure our lives for ourselves amount to. Special effects. Movie magic. It, there's no real substance to it. And Jesus taught the same thing. You'll remember the story, the, the parable he told in Matthew 7 uh, of the, the two houses. The, the person who shows their dependence on him by building their lives on his word is like a wise man that builds his house on the rock. And when the storms of life came, the house on the rock stands firm. But the person who asserts their independence from Jesus and builds their lives on what society says is important or what their desires say is important, well, they're like the fool who builds their house on the sand. And the rains come down and the floods come up and the house on the sand went... Am I the only one that sang this song as a child? The house on the sand went splat. It collapsed because it was a facade. Only a life that is built on, in full dependence on the Lord will be solid and secure in the storms of life. If we're going to build a meaningful life, that can withstand the pressures. The Lord must be at the very center of it, the pillar. Because unless the Lord blesses, we labor in vain. But not only is building our lives with anything other than the Lord at the center pointless, ultimately pointless, but it also makes us restless. Verse 2, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Literally, they're eating the bread of anxious toil. It's bread that's tainted by anxiety. I guess most of us, we've been through times in our lives when, uh, that have required acutely hard work. Terms at university when exams are approaching, or uh, times at work when a big project is coming due. And we should expect to put some extra hours in during those times. That's normal enough. But what Solomon is talking about is a way of life that's characterized by anxious toil. The person who can't fall asleep at night as their mind whirs about the tasks to come that they haven't yet accomplished. The person who wakes early and goes straight to their email inbox to see what sort of work has amassed overnight. They're the first in the office, the last out. They're, they're burning the candle at both ends. And, 
And when the world sees it, they might see uh, someone that they would uh, call ambitious or maybe a, a workaholic. But when God sees it, he calls them a fool. What are you doing? They think, oh, with enough effort and attention, I can control the situation. I can anticipate. I can solve all the problems. But what they're actually doing is exhausting themselves. So that even what they achieve, eating bread, is tainted by anxiety, the bread of anxious toil. It is a kind of enslavement. And if the world is not ordered, if it's not controlled by the Lord's good providence, then it makes sense to restlessly toil like that. Everything is up to me. I have to look after myself. I have to look after my loved ones with a, a Herculean effort because if I am distracted for a moment, if I miss one opportunity, that could spell my doom. I learned something about this attitude from the, the literature, the world around adoption and foster care. When a child is constantly on edge, because they've never had a trustworthy and consistent adult in their lives. It's called hypervigilance. And that is what people who have uh, never known the consistent and trustworthy God in their lives are as well. Hypervigilant. They need to feel in control of everything to the detriment of their own peace and happiness. Because nobody else is controlling it. But it is a crushing way to live, not least because God created us to, uh, as the kind of creatures that need to sleep for a third of our lives. Every day we need to spend a third of the hours of the day sleeping in order to survive. Now, he could have made us as the sort of creature that is always well-rested, always perfectly alert. But he didn't. Why didn't he? Well, I think it's because he wanted to, um, to humble us. He, he wanted to, to make us the sort of creatures that have a biological need to be unconscious and vulnerable for a huge segment of our lives to show us that we are not sufficient ourselves, but we are dependent on him. We can only fight against our creaturely need for rest for so long before it's burnout and it's breakdown and it's a mess. But if the Lord is actually watching over our lives, if it's Him who grants us safety and security, well, then we can rest. For He grants sleep to those He loves. He grants sleep to those he loves. That is such a wonderful truth. It's been my mantra this week. I've repeated it to myself several times. I've told it to others. The Lord grants sleep to those he loves. Because when I'm worried about something, this is a message I need to hear. You can sleep. You can rest. The Lord loves you. Solomon is not saying that Christians should just sit back and do nothing. Builders 
build and guards guard and parents parents and everyone else still needs to work as indeed we, we talked about several weeks back. But he's telling us that there is a kind of test to help us check how we're doing with our active dependence on the Lord. There's a test for us to see if we are consistently so absorbed by the pressures of work that we cannot sleep, if we're so wound up by worries about our children that we cannot relax, if we're so concerned about politics that we can't stop scrolling through the news feed all day and all night, well then we know that we're spiritually sick. We need spiritual healing. We're acting like there's no God. We're functional atheists, if that's the way we're living. And I tell you, you are a very bad God. You, you cannot control the world as God can. It will only lead to burnout, to breakdown. God loves all who have faith in Christ, and so we need to repent of our restlessness if that's what's been characterizing our lives. But the Christian who is trusting the Lord, who's dependent on the Lord, is able to rest on him. They will be diligent at the office, but then they will spend unhurried time with family and friends. They'll have an attitude towards life that shows it doesn't all depend on us because it doesn't all depend on us. The Lord establishes the work of our hands. He controls whether we succeed or not, whether we advance or we don't whether we're honored or we aren't. And so all we have to do is faithfully keep working in so far as we're able and leave the rest to him. Work and rest in a way that's pleasing to him and trust him for the result. And the same is true of these other household activities and really any activity in life, but Certainly, these ones that Solomon touches on, uh, parents, they work themselves up into a, a frenzy trying to give their children all the right opportunities, the, the right school, the right church, the right extracurricular activities, uh, the right this and that and everything else. And yet, as much as we try, we cannot control the outcome of our children. The children at the most prestigious schools and the ones that go to the big buzzing youth groups at a church, they still go off the rails. And the kids who never had private lessons, who went to the, the public school that uh, everyone else went to, the ones that went to a church where they were the only kids around, maybe they had to be dragged to it, they still grow up to be faithful, productive people. We can't control the outcome of our children as much as we try. So whether you're wealthy or you're poor, you can do what the Lord is calling you to do as a parent. You can be faithful. You can disciple them. You can encourage them. You can talk to them and discipline them. You can show them compassion and care. You can repent when you wrong them. 
You can pray for them. And you can rest. You can rest. If we love the Lord, then our goals are going to be the Lord's own goals. Therefore, they're sure to be accomplished. Do you think the Lord can't accomplish what he sets out to do? And if that's what you want, you will see your goals accomplished as well. The reality is the Lord can accomplish more while you sleep than you can achieve independently with 24 hours of toil. Isn't that a lovely thought? The Lord can achieve more while you sleep than you could ever accomplish, even if you didn't sleep. And so take the kids swimming, enjoy the hobby, have a lion, go to uh, that retreat, enjoy a good book, host a dinner party, do nothing but worship and fellowship on a Sunday, choose to rest, knowing that you have a Father in heaven who cares for you. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed as one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, Jesus said, which is here today and gone tomorrow, uh, thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Solomon says that apart from the Lord's blessing, life is pointless, life is restless, and thirdly, life is fruitless. Verses 3 to 5, he, he turns to child-rearing as perhaps the clearest place where we can see our dependence on the Lord. In Hebrew, verse 3 starts with the word, behold, as in pay attention, look at this. Examine it closely. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. A heritage or an inheritance is a blessing given to someone who hasn't earned it. A reward is a blessing given to somebody who has earned it. And Solomon says that children are both. They're an unearned blessing given by God because however much someone might want a child, they are not a product that can simply be produced on demand. In addition to all the known reasons why somebody might not have a child, whether it's the lack of a spouse or a medical problem or advanced age, there are a surprising number of couples who are unable to have children for reasons that no one can determine. And according to the scriptures, that is not a result of random chance, as much as it might feel like it. Rather, it's the Lord alone who distributes children, to whomever he pleases. Children are also a reward because the end result of uh, the adults that they become is the result of hard work, of birthing labor, of constant care, of discipline and attention and education. They are, in that sense, a, a blessing that has to be earned. And so they're a good gift 
that demands work and an incredible blessing that requires labor. One commentator, Derek Kidner, he puts it like this, it's not untypical of God's gifts that first they're liabilities, or at least responsibilities, before they become obvious assets. The greater their promise, the more likely that these sons will be a handful before they are a quiverful. Now that's true, isn't it? That's, that's so often how God's blessings work. The things that he gives us, they often seem like liabilities that distract us and prevent us from pursuing what we really want, and yet as we accept them, we find them turning into our greatest assets in life. It's true for the hardships that we go through that, that end up making us more Christ-like. It's true for the sorrows that we experience. However painfully uh, they might make us turn away, they make us turn away from temporary things to eternal things. And it's true for children that at first seem to require more from you than you can ever give. How could you ever do enough? But in the end, they become a blessing whose value cannot be overstated. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, they become a person's strength, a person's defense. And so as we come to the end of this psalm, we're faced with two ways to live. And that is so often what wisdom literature in the Bible gives us. It, it shows us two different ways, and it says, now, what are you going to choose? And Solomon says, choose between independence and dependence on the Lord. Choose a life of independence from God, and you're sure to find pointlessness, restlessness, and fruitlessness. He was the wisest man that ever lived, and that is what he found out the hard way in his life. If anyone could have made it work, a life of independence, it was Solomon. He had the resources to do it, he had the, the wisdom to do it, and yet he couldn't do it. And so, in a sense, he warns all of us lesser mortals, don't make my same mistake, please. Or choose a life of dependence on the Lord, putting him and his word at the center of all you do, and you will see the result. What will the result be? It'll be working with purpose, knowing that you're pleasing the Lord with your labor. It will be being content to, to rest, knowing that the Lord is watching over you. It'll look like trusting that all the liabilities, all the responsibilities of your life that he has given you will become great assets to you. What a way to live. Isn't that a better way to live? Let's pray. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Lord, we don't want to live lives of vanity, of pointlessness, of a facade. We want to live substantial lives. 
We want to put you at the center of it. Please turn our hearts from worthless things and, and help us to look to you. Please guide us in the way that we should go. Please help us to entrust all things to you, all our household activities and, and everything else, our parenting, our work, our rest. And I pray that we would find new strength, refreshment, new peace from whatever uh, storms assault us. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.